Good evening, everyone. Trust you folks are all well. Um, it's been a, and I hope that it's been a good week. So we are going to continue this evening with our series on Meals with Jesus. Um, let me say, the, there are some biscuits around. There's some tea and coffee at the back. You can get up right now if you want to refresh your cup of tea or coffee. You are welcome to do that. Um, and then uh, you are welcome to finish off those biscuits and rusks. They are not going to eat themselves. Yeah, so the last time we got together, we, um, we looked at the story of Zacchaeus. I hope you can remember some of that. Um, and how Jesus used a meal to enact or to demonstrate, in fact, grace. The series that we are working through is, is looking at how Jesus used instances of having meals with people um, to model for us instances of grace, of community, of mission. And so we are wanting to tap into some of those lessons that Jesus models for us by looking at some very well-known stories that many of us know really well. Um, and so this evening, we're going to continue in that vein. We're going to be looking at, a, at another really well-known story. And we're going to be looking at how Jesus used a meal setting to demonstrate how community can be enacted in a very challenging way. It's a story where community might not immediately jump out at you. But upon further meditation, I, I, I think you'll see the, the theme of community, and we're going to try to highlight that this evening as we unpack some of, some of this story um, that we all know really well. Now, community has always been a very important aspect of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, I think it's fair to say that you cannot call yourself a Christian and not be part of the community of followers of Jesus. Um, and when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, it is to love God with your all. And then he added to that, and the second is like the first, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So Jesus there highlights again the value and the importance that others play within your walk with loving God. Now God seems to have specifically designed us to crave and to thrive in relationships with others. It seems to be part of what he has made us to be. Um, I think we are our best selves when we are experiencing life's highs and lows with others in community. It's something that being together um, does to us as we follow Jesus. You know, it gives us the, the opportunity as well, if we look around this evening, um, of being with others who are at different stages of their faith journey. So someone like myself who doesn't know much about Jesus, I get to be with people know him so much better than I do and vice versa. So we rub off on one another and Jesus uses the power of community as it were to shape us as iron sharpens iron. The, I looked up um, just very quickly what 
the definition of community is and how the how how the dictionary in fact describes community this is how it is described in the webster's it says a social or religious or other group sharing common characteristics or interests and perceived or perceiving itself as distinct in some respect from the larger society within which it exists. So it's a group of people who have things in common and the things in common that we do share kind of sets us apart from the larger community that we find ourselves in. That's, that's kind of the, the definition that gets given there. And I think as we look at this story, some of those aspects might ring bells in our minds. So we're going to be looking at a story quite amazingly this morning. Craig actually touched on it as well at Explore. This very well-known story that comes from Luke chapter 7, and we'll read from verses 36 to 50. It is the story of Jesus and this woman who is called a sinful woman. Is there someone who would like to read for us? Is there someone who would like to read for us? Chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Okay. So one of the things we're wanting to do for those of you who weren't with us the last time is also just to allow space to learn from one another. Um, I do believe we have lots of wisdom in the room. So I want to encourage you when there are moments where we can share um, to take those moments. So as we read through that passage, what are some of the things that you might find striking? Some of the things that immediately jump out at you. 
The woman had a reputation and they were quick to criticize Jesus. Mm. There are lots of mirrors in this story, hey? <laughs> okay, I, I just remember some of the things that, that were shared now, and we'll see how some of them unfold as we unpack the story a little bit more. So the story starts out with Jesus having been invited to come and eat at a Pharisee's house. This Pharisee, as we see in the story, his name is Simon. Now, bearing in mind the kind of relationship up until this point um, that Jesus had with most Pharisees, why do you think Jesus was invited? If we think of how, what Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees were like. But here this guy is, this Pharisee, he invites Jesus to his house. Why do you think? Just share some, just quickly. <laughs> So, so in those days, um, apparently religious leaders in Jesus' day, they formed these societies, like these groups, um, and it was always men. Um, they formed these groups by invitation, and they would sit in the evenings, and they would, they would share a meal, and what they would do around that time is they would debate theology. Um, in the Roman context, I think it's an idea that had been borrowed from the Romans, um, the influence of, of this people who had effectively colonized them. Um, in the Roman uh, context, it was called a symposium. So that's what this gathering was kind of like, where they would come together after this meal, and, and what they would do is they would discuss the law, they would discuss Torah, and they would discuss um, the Talmud, which is this collection of Jewish law and tradition, and they'd sit there and they would have these um, lofty discussions, sharing their perspectives of what this communicates to them. And so for whatever reason, Simon thought it was a good idea, some of those reasons came out there, to invite Jesus to one of these gatherings at his house. And then Jesus arrives and like all cultures, even in our cultures, different cultures that we have present here this evening, there are these certain traditions, almost rules or rituals, when someone comes to a house. And in Jesus' time, there were these three rituals that were very common. The one was, as we see, there was a, a kiss of greeting, there might be washing of feet, and then there would be this anointing of oil on the head. Now, in New Testament times, the, the kiss on the cheek was used for, for greeting, and it implied friendship and acceptance, even amongst men. Men would also kiss each other on the cheek. Today, we know that means something else. <laughs> um, and then after that, you would, you would offer to wash the feet of, of your guest, and then oftentimes, you would anoint the head of your of your guest with oil. This practice of, of foot washing um, was also an act of hospitality in um, Palestinian homes that would be performed for guests. People wore sandals in those times um, and the roads were very dusty, not like our roads. And so when you arrived at, at, the, at the destination, at the home of the person who invited you, 
Either the servant, if it was a wealthy person, the servant would wash your feet, or, or sometimes it would be the wife of the host who invited you. They would wash your feet. Um, and then after that, there would be this practice of anointing or pouring of oil on, your, on the person's head. Um, and this was also an act of honor um, and esteem, and it was also partly just to to moisten your, your skin after the visitor had arrived, um, having been exposed to the dry climate of the Middle East. Now, Simon the host, he invites Jesus, but he doesn't do any of those things for him. He does nothing for him. And Simon, who has called Jesus, who's at, at that point in time, as um, I think it was clear pointed out, Jesus' fame had become widespread. People had known about this particular rabbi. And so Simon invited him to this social gathering with the town's intellectual and religious leadership. And Simon, I think if we give it some thought, there was actually some offense that he was showing to Jesus by not doing these things for him. Imagine you invite someone to your house and you don't welcome them at the door. You don't offer them anything to, the, to drink. In fact, you stand at the door and you kind of give them that treatment that we're welcome with, that we, we know other people do, that we don't do, um, when a guest arrives and you're not really prepared for them. So there was that, this moment that Simon missed out on in terms of inviting this teacher into his house. Because I don't think he would have done that for any of his other guests. Because we know people in the Middle East are well known for their hospitality. Is there anybody who's been to the Middle East? Who's been to Israel? <laughs> yeah. So, so they, they, they are well known for their hospitality. But unfortunately in this story, Jesus is not a recipient of that kind of hospitality. And then in the story we are told this woman um, arrives. And she arrives after having heard that Jesus was at this particular home. Jesus was there. And she arrives and she just walks in. In our modern Western way of hospitality, you know when you've invited someone to your, to your home, you, you, you say they can you welcome them in, you close the door behind them, and then you proceed to have your, your private gathering. But it wasn't so in biblical times. Houses, particularly those of wealthy people, were designed in a specific way. This is a kind of a, um, an average home of a... Of a um, probably upper class person, where the home is designed to have a, a courtyard. So there's a courtyard space in the middle there, and the, there would be rooms on those ends and rooms here leading onto the courtyard, as well as an upstairs where people would sit in the evening time. But this doorway here would be open. And what would, be, what would happen within the culture then was that, that anybody who wanted to hear or participate, if they were able to, in this debate that was going to happen amongst these leaders, 
would be able to enter in through that gate, through that doorway there, and stand in the background and watch and listen. Nothing like the way that we would do it in our times. And so this woman arrives and she walks in through that doorway. Now this was possible in those days because dinners or these kinds of gatherings would happen outdoors. It would happen in that courtyard um, in the middle there. And what would, what would happen is the guests would be reclined around a, a particular kind of table, a very low table um, that's shaped in a U, um, and, and they would be reclined around this table. So the, the, the table would face this way, and anybody who entered in through the gate came through this way, and people would be standing around here watching these people. And they would enjoy their meal, and they would go about having their discussion while people stood there watching them. It sounds really, we laugh at it now, but it was so usual for people in those times to have those kinds um, of gatherings. And as the story tells us, um, the woman enters and she approaches the table immediately. We're talking about meals. Now on the, on the table for the meal would probably have been um, bread and wine um, with a main dish into which you would dip your bread. So there'd be a big dish that might have um, ground lentils or hummus or um, whatever the dish was that they decided on. Um, and everybody around this table would break off a piece of the bread that they had, dip it in, and, and they would enjoy that um, as well as having some wine. Now this evening, we're in for a treat. Auntie Lucy is going to share with us um, her recipe on unleavened bread, or, or the African version of it is japati. Um, on her way in, I just caught a whiff of it, <laughs> and it ministered to me for a minute. So she's going to be, she's going to be sharing that um, recipe with us at the end, as well as, um, as, well as how to make yogurt um, from your homes. So there would, might have been some other dishes on the table, but that would have been the standard fare. And all of this fanfare, this, this gathering, um, would have been open for viewing by anyone from the outside who may be interested in this discussion or debate that followed the meal. And that particular gate at the back there would be open so that the rest of the town folk could participate in that, in that gathering. The woman who arrives is described by Luke as a sinner. Now that verb implies that she was actively known as a sinner. It, was, it doesn't seem like it was a once-off thing. It gives us the impression that it was some kind of a lifestyle for this woman. And as the story unfolds, we come to the conclusion, or at least we deduce, that her reputation turns on sexual activity of some sort. We deduce this because she actually lets her hair down, um, which in that period was something that only prostitutes did. Letting your hair down was something that you only did in your bedroom with your husband. 
And so she comes. Now, there were many Jewish people who lived on the margins, who didn't strictly um, live according to Jewish law, and so they would have been excluded by the religious leaders of that time, and they would have been called sinners. And this woman appears to be one of those people who would have been on the margins. She would not have felt part of the community. She would have felt like someone who's outside looking in. Because you see, the community would have been strictly patrolled and dictated to by these religious leaders, by Pharisees and Sadducees. And so you were either a good Jew and included in the community, or you were a sinner and so excluded from the community and then be relegated to being on the margins, again on the outside looking in. And so this woman appears to have an illicit reputation. Um, but something appears to have happened in her life that unfortunately for us is beyond the scope of the story. The, the story doesn't tell us what the change was that happened for her. Something or someone has transformed this woman's life. And so because of this transformation, she has now been experiencing this urge to come and see Jesus. Now we aren't told again what has changed her in this story. What do you think might be some things that could have changed who she was? Eh? Or she could have actually heard him, like Rand was saying, she could have heard him preach. She could have had an encounter with him in the past. She could have had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Something has happened in her walk that has brought her to the feet, literally, of Jesus. Now this woman, in doing what she does, because the, 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 the story kind of tells us that she comes in and she goes straight for Jesus. She's taking a tremendous risk because she's approaching this gathering of men um, with a lot of confidence here at this table. And she then, as we see in the story, she anoints his feet with perfume. She weeps and wets them with, his, with her tears. She kisses his feet repeatedly. And all of what she's doing here is actually very risky. Because she has this reputation. And she risks being reprimanded. She risks being pushed out or put out by this, by this gathering of men. And so she, she's, she must have been feeling a fair amount of angst. What do you think in that moment? The boldness that it must have taken her to step into that moment and to do what she did must have been amazing. It must have been a major thing for her to do. And then as we know, after this event unfolds, Jesus tells this parable, and he aims this parable at Simon based on what he knew Simon was thinking. Simon didn't say anything. Do you see that there? In verse 39, he said to himself is what it says. 
And Simon, as we know, as we deduce, was thinking that surely Jesus cannot be a prophet, seeing what is happening in front of him there. And in the story that, that Jesus uses, he refers to these two debtors, one having been forgiven little. Yeah, and so Jesus, he unpacks, he uses this parable, um, and, and what he's actually doing with this parable, effectively, um, that he asks Simon to consider, is that this had actually played out in front of himself in that moment. Jesus uses a different analogy to reveal to Simon what had just happened. And so Jesus, in effect, is holding up a mirror there. And he says to Simon, you have answered rightly. <laughs> he had actually drawn judgment on himself in answering in the right way, which was very interesting to see in the way that Jesus was able to prophetically, as Craig describes there, um, help this Pharisee see with different eyes what actually was happening in his home. Um, and then Jesus explains that the woman who is supposed to be a sinner had acted more graciously than Simon, who was supposed to be a righteous man. Jesus announces that her many sins had been forgiven her, not because of what she did for him, very importantly, because in verse 50, there it says, it, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. As we wrap up, I want to make two observations that kind of stand out to me as it relates to community in some way. Yes, it was actually something very valuable. Um, it would have been brought in this alabaster um, jar flask. Alabaster is a very soft stone, something like, um, like soapstone that you can carve quite easily. In fact, if you took your nail, you'd be able to scratch a groove into this alabaster stone. It's, it's, it's a, um, a very valuable um, offering that she's actually making in that moment. Um, and there are in other stories that we can reflect on as well, where comments are made about the value of what gets given to Jesus in the moment. So definitely, yes, um, it was a very significant thing that this woman was doing um, for Jesus in that moment. Was there anybody else who wanted to add something? Yeah. So that was a, that was a very significant act. Um, and it cost her dearly in more, way, in more ways than one to do what she did um, in that moment. So these are the two things I just want to highlight um, before we move on. The first thing is this. As we look at the story and we consider some of the themes that come out at us, um, the first thing that stands out to me is that Jesus welcomes sinners into his community. Now the word community here I think is interchangeable with the word kingdom. But the story takes place at this Pharisee's home. And Pharisees, as we know, were very guarded about their purity. 
They were very careful um, about keeping themselves ritually pure. Um, and the, the promised land to them in their minds had become defiled by Roman occupation. And they had become effectively colonized by the Romans. But at least for them in their minds, they could keep their own bodies pure. That in their minds was something that they had control over that would ready them for the day of liberation. And so what they would do is they would avoid contact with those who they consider to be impure sinners, like this woman. And they kept people like this woman out of their community. And what Jesus does here is something that goes against what he would have been expected to do as a rabbi. Because Jesus, as we deduce from what Simon's um, judgment call is on Jesus, Jesus would have been expected to do that, but Jesus goes the different way. In, in fact, Jesus welcomes her in what he does into the community. And to add to that, Jesus allows a shocking degree of intimacy in that moment. We see there how she wets his feet with her tears. She anoints him. She kisses his feet. She lets her hair down and dries his feet with her, with her hair. But Jesus amazingly doesn't stop her in that. I imagine that it must have been quite uncomfortable in that context to see that happening. But what Jesus does amazingly is that he reinterprets what she's doing as being an act of love in her language rather than an act that might be seen in that context as being erotic. And so Jesus is again in this moment demonstrating why he was called a friend of sinners in the verses before the story starts. Now that for me challenges the parameters of how far grace stretches. I think Johannes pointed at it earlier on. You know, when we read stories like this, we say, wow, those people were bad. Just consider that. How could they do that to that woman? We would never do something like that in our time. But you know, when you engage with stories like this, it actually challenges us in our modern times. How many times do we engage with people who might be viewed in the way that this woman was viewed? And unknowingly, who is it that we actually end up looking like? So I think we can rejoice because Jesus welcomes us into community as we are and then ministers to us where we are. The second point and the last one is this. Sinners welcome Jesus. This isn't just a story about Jesus who welcomes a sinner. It's also to me a story about a sinner who welcomes Jesus. Because Luke makes it quite clear that this story happens at the home of this Pharisee again. 
And Simon, this Pharisee, being the host, he had some duties that he needed to perform, but he didn't do it. It was expected of him to give Jesus a kiss. It was expected of him to offer Jesus water for his feet and to anoint his head with oil, but he didn't do any of those things. However, the woman does all of those things for Jesus. She wet Jesus' feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. She kissed his feet. She anointed his feet with ointment. She was, in fact, the one who welcomed Jesus. And so this woman is the host who's not even a guest. As we think about that, as we draw to a close, what lessons do you think we can learn about the power of community from this story? As we see Jesus exercising something very powerfully and extremely challenging to us here, what lessons can we glean from the power of being included into a community? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you, Lord, that every time we consult it, it teaches us something new about who you are and it holds a mirror up for us about who we are. We thank you, Lord, that in this time that we are in now, we can experience community, that we can experience what it is that you are wanting to do, not only in us, but in others. Not only here where we are in Pinelands, but in Cape Town. Not only in Cape Town, but in the rest of our nation. And so we thank you, Lord, that through all of those passages, all of those means your Holy Spirit is with us. We thank you, Lord, that we can enjoy what community means to us in this place. And Father, we ask that you would send more to become part of our community. That you would empower us with a kind of grace that we see Jesus modeling for us here. That stretches us in ways that make us feel uncomfortable. We ask, Lord, for those moments. And we ask for those moments because we eagerly desire to have your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.